Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got another great show that we're recording from an exciting venue. I'm in Freeport, Maine. We're at a conference that's actually being hosted by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This conference, uh, among other things, is helping people, regardless of what their background is, if they come to these uh, free meetings, actually, they're being educated on ways to make an impact in their community, among other things. And a lot of the dialogue has to do with health and helping communities be healthier. So regardless of whether you're a Seventh-day Adventist, whether you've even heard of one, or you're saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? I thought this was a Native American-themed health show. It is, but I think there's some fascinating things we can learn from some of the amazing folks that have attended this conference and those who are actually presenting. One of the presenters is sitting across from me right now. Her name is Judy Prince. Judy, I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you, David. Now, your accent, I know you haven't said all that much just yet, but it will immediately reveal that your roots are not in Indian country here in the North American continent, right? That's right. I am from South Africa. And you have a background as a pastor in South Africa, and you saw there in Africa some health challenges that really moved you in your ministry. Tell us what you observed and what that did in your life. Well, I have since around 1998 um, been involved in um, home-based care for people living with HIV and AIDS. And I became very interested in the study. And I realized that the church can do a mighty work by you know, doing intervention in the homes of mm. people who live with HIV and AIDS. Wonderful. So basically, we're talking on today's show about an issue that is very germane in Indian country. It's germane everywhere. HIV and AIDS, it's a worldwide pandemic, we would call it, and we're talking about things that can make a difference in your community. We're seeing it through the eyes of a pastor from South Africa, and now actually you're doing work, do I understand it correctly, right here in northern New England? That's right. I volunteered my services as a pastor um, shortly after I completed my master's thesis in pastoral counseling. And your special work in your thesis, if I understand it correctly, was looking at this area of HIV and AIDS. Exactly. Uh, the thesis title was HIV and AIDS as a challenge to the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Africa um, with a focus and a reflection on home-based care. Okay. So basically we're looking through your eyes as a pastor of a Protestant denomination, right. and we're going to get a window on that, uh, basically how it could relate to any church, any community, even is it possible someone listening today who says, hey, listen, I want nothing to do with Christianity. I'm from a traditional Native uh, background, and I'm not interested in that. Can they learn something in our dialogue that would help them deal with people with HIV and AIDS in their community? Absolutely. I do believe if, you know, the love of God moves us, 
if we say that we care about the well-being of people, that's the love of God that moves us to do something. Okay, okay. So we're getting a good pastoral response. Someone else may say, well, I think that's the great spirit or my commitment to my community, but I appreciate that so much about you. So tell us what you observed and what we can learn. What are the take-home lessons from your research? What I have learned is that if there's any human suffering in my community, it will affect me. Mm. And I will want to do something about it to bring some relief to human suffering. So what I do believe that churches and pastors can play a, a huge role in bringing relief to those who suffer with HIV and AIDS by doing home-based care. I'm thinking of many of our listeners on reservations, and they immediately resonate with what you're saying, Judy. They're saying, yes, I mean, when someone's hurting in the community, I'm hurting. But I've got a lot of listeners who are living in urban settings. They may not even know their next-door neighbor in the apartment next to them, and they're saying, well, how does it affect me? I mean, if someone two floors up in that apartment, I mean, how is that affecting me? Is this a, a reasonable question to ask? I think so, David. I have come to the conclusion that concrete walls and doors separate people. And in, 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 in saying that, I also believe that there are many people suffering in isolation who, when they hear about the possibility of home-based care, they might open themselves up to it. Okay, well, we need to talk about this because everywhere people have homes. Now, there, there may be questions about access to medical care. Exactly. But, uh, of course, there's a homeless population, but every community has homes and many people residing, and whether it's an apartment, whether it's a, you know, a mansion, you know, the whole spectrum, right? So what is the difference between home-based care and care in a medical clinic? Is it really all that different? Well, what we have discovered, in fact, what I have discovered in research is that many people can go to a doctor mm -hmm. and get treatment, get medicines, take pills, but people with suffering with terminal diseases, they get to a point where they need help. They cannot take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. They cannot even get someone to take, you know, get their medication for them. I, with my team, can come in and offer those kind of services, either to take the patient to the clinic or to um, help bathe a patient, prepare mm. a meal, clean a house for a patient. That is home-based care. So if I'm hearing you right, Judy, you're pastoring some years ago in South Africa. You see this great epidemic of HIV and AIDS around you. And although it may not be affecting you personally as far as actually having the virus which is immaterial to our discussion, you see the needs of the community around you, and you're saying, I and my church need to be making a difference. And Correct. apparently wasn't happening at first. Am I hearing that right? Correct. I really do believe that if there's any one person suffering with HIV and AIDS or any disease for that matter, the whole community is affected. Help us see that because, again, I mean, I think some people resonate with this in certain communities, but other people just don't get it. And uh, Help us understand why would someone else's disease affect me if I'm perfectly healthy and don't even know them? Yeah, like I said earlier, wherever there's human suffering, I will be affected. I would want to make a difference in the life of that person. Mm -hmm. 
So as, as a church then, if we say we really care about people and that is what the church really ought to be, okay. the church represents who God is. The church is the body of Christ. If anyone in my church or in my community suffers, the body of Christ suffers. Hmm. God suffers. Okay. And so we as a church, um, through home-based care, would like to bring meaning to suffering. Hmm. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus to lighten the loads of those who cannot do things for themselves. Tell us a story. Tell us about an, ex- an encouraging experience that you or uh, some of your church members had in South Africa. Well, there are a number of beautiful stories that I can share with you. In the year 2000, I was working for a local hospice called Halderberg Hospice. And so what I would do is go into the homes of people to do you know, pastoral counseling mm-hmm. and assess what the needs in the homes were. And we had a young lady there, a married woman, who um, in a one-night stand, as you could say, you know, was infected with, with the HIV virus. Mm. And she was in the end stage wow. of her disease. Well, husband who had introduced her to um, the virus had, had confessed they've been reconciled, but she was now dying. Mm. And so I would go into the home on a, you know, once a week, on a weekly basis. But I became so attached to the family, I would sometimes mm-hmm. go twice or thrice a week. And I became a friend of the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this young woman's l- situation turned around completely. She recovered from being, you know, in stage four and dying. Uh She had a major turnaround because she had valued the love and the interest and the care that that, that she received. Tremendous. And the interest that I took in their family and the fact that I accepted her husband Hmm. who had infected her with this disease. I treated him as if he was just a friend. So let me see if I understand the context, because at first I I was hearing something different than I think you were saying. So this husband had this uh, one-night stand with some other woman. No. No? The husband had possibly multiple relationships. I see. But she, who had a one-night stand, because she was already HIV positive and did not know about it, she Uh. had a relationship with someone else who had introduced her to a different strand of the HIV virus. She became ill. Okay, I get the picture. So, So basically, it's a situation where both partners in the marriage could have easily pointed fingers at the other That's one. That's right. And instead of them being angry and separating, you and uh, other church members presumably befriended them, accepted them, and that helped to stabilize their marriage as well as give them a sense of uh, meaning and purpose. Yeah, well, in this particular case, I was the only one working in the family. Okay. Our, our work uh, sometimes is of a very confidential nature, mm-hmm. especially when we are introduced to the patient. They share very personal and private information with the pastor. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I have worked with them by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I sometimes went when it just was convenient for me to go. But like I said, 
there was a, a lot of guilt and anger initially. Sure. But sure. I helped this couple to work through that. Mm-hmm. And when the extended family saw that, they saw me as a friend. Mm-hmm. So I could come into the home at any time. Wonderful. But because the extended family heard what had happened to this young woman, there was another member of the family, a brother-in-law, who was addicted to drugs. Uh-huh. He saw the healing power of God in the young woman's life. He approached me as I was leaving, you know, after a visit. And he said to me, can you help me? Hmm. He had tattoos from the top of his head to the tip of his feet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A- and I asked him, what was your name? Of course, he gave me his name. By the way, his name was David. Okay. And I said, David, do you know what? Do you know that your name's in the Bible? He says, I do. I grew up. Grew up with God. I listened to the Bible stories, but I got involved in the wrong things. I am messed up. And I'm losing my family because I spend my earnings on drugs. How can you help me? And the first thing I said to him was, David, God loves you. And I pointed up to him and I said, just look up. There's a God in heaven who loves you. And did that resonate with him? It did. Because he grew up knowing that there was a God in heaven that loved him. And I worked with David... For at least a couple of months since then, he had changed his lifestyle. He had, I brought him to the wellness center of our church because he had to go through a detox program mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that the toxins introduced to his body by the drugs could be, could be cleaned of that. And David turned around a new page. Tremendous. So basically, we're talking about HIV and AIDS, but what you're sharing, Judy, is... As we minister to people in our community, doors open to minister in other areas as well. Absolutely. And that's what love does. Love is like throwing a pebble in a pond. Hmm. There is this ripple effect. Initially, when we're thinking we're starting with one person and ministering to the needs of one, Mm -hmm. the whole family appreciate what we do. And the love of Jesus is just spreading from, you know, the one to the next. Well, you're giving us a beautiful picture of instilling hope, encouraging people in some of the most needy times of their lives. And so if you're tuning in today to American Indian Living and you're thinking, this is just a program for someone who might be a Christian pastor, uh, I don't see how this relates to me. You are going to be surprised because Judy is going to expand the dialogue. We're going to learn about things that anyone can do to make a difference in their community. And it's going to have some profound implications right in your own home, possibly, if not in your tribe, if not in your community. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You're listening to American Indian Living. Our theme, HIV and AIDS, opportunities for caring, opportunities for instilling hope, and it's in our hands. Judy Prince, she will be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't you go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. 
So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose on today's edition of American Indian Living. Across from me, Judy Prince. Judy has been working with HIV and AIDS-related issues in communities as diverse as South Africa and now here in the United States. Next to her is another pastor by the name of Arnett Mathers. Why are the two of you here at this particular conference, and is there any connection between the two of you as far as your work? Well, yes. In early 2016, I had volunteered my services as a pastor to the Northern New England Conference, and I was blessed to get a letter of invitation to come and work here for Jesus. Okay. So you left South Africa, or was there a stopping point before you came here? Yes. Well, uh, towards late um, 2015, October to be exact, I was writing my master's thesis and I was looking for an Adventist editor. Mm-hmm. At the time, on it was a mutual friend on Facebook and I knew that he's an editor and I've also happened to experience him to do some good writing on Facebook. Um, and so I asked him if he would read my master's thesis for me, to which he agreed. And collaboration on my thesis on an almost daily basis brought us in contact with each other. And our friendship, friendship took off to something else. And so now I'm here, and I am on it soon to be wedded wife. Okay, so this is a, a romance story as well as a story about ministry. So Arnett, how long have you been uh, residing in New England? In New England since uh, March of 2000. Okay, and you've been in pastoral work that entire time? That's correct. I began in uh, Vermont, and now I'm in Maine. 
Okay, so you're actually in the front lines of ministry just like Judy. She'd been working in South Africa, you in Maine, and your lives cross as she learns about your writing and editorial skills. And now uh, you folks are, are engaged. You obviously... Uh, in working on this, these themes, you saw that there was some, I mean, definitely some mutual interests as well as the romantic aspect of things. That's correct. I have believed for a long time that the health ministry is part of gospel ministry. Hmm. You know, what we see Jesus going around healing and teaching. Mm-hmm. What One way of putting it is, until people know you care, they don't care what what you teach. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. and pe- until people know you care, they don't care what you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, that's true. I agree with that, and that is why I believe, as the Adventist Church, we have been blessed with a you know vast volume of volumes of knowledge on how to treat those who suffer, those who are sick and just be the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, those who don't know the Seventh-day Adventist Church may not realize that we are actually in a venue here in Maine that is really, in some sense, one of the birthplaces of Seventh-day Adventism in the world. Uh, A number of the leaders of the early church had their roots in New England, some Mm -hmm. very close to where we're holding this seminar. And what's interesting to me, just like you're saying, as a physician— I can remember years ago reading a Seventh-day Adventist book. It was still in print, still is in print, mm-hmm. written around the turn of the last century, 1905, publication day, and a little book, little book called Ministry of Healing. That's right. And it's talking about this very theme you're talking about, of, of how churches need to be involved in taking care of the health of people. But it wasn't just a theoretical book. It was telling all these practical things, talking about the, uh, the dangers of addictive tobacco use, talking about proper diet, talking mm-hmm. about hygiene. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I would say, at least in my experience, has a very different history than many other denominations, where really this idea of physical health ministry is part of the DNA of the church. Is that fair to say, Arnett? That would be fair to say. And in the early history of the church, uh, at the very beginning, the Seventh-day Adventists were living the typical American lifestyle of the time, you might say. And they were suffering from the typical American degenerative diseases. Hmm. And in the 1860s, they received, as you might say, as a gift from God, this knowledge of how how to care for the body, how to allow it to heal itself, how to um, live in a way that is in harmony with the uh, the laws of nature that surround us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to live in harmony with the earth, and in in that way to uh, to add length of days to your life, and to add uh, vibrancy and health to those days. And Judy, you come from that same perspective. You you're not you weren't pastoring in New England but you're pastoring in South Africa, and you saw, it sounds like from the little we've talked before the show, that you saw a disconnect, that there was this, uh, uh, your church had these values of making a difference in communities, but you saw that somehow 
perhaps that's the Seventh Adventist Church in South Africa and maybe in the world was not making as big an impact in helping people with HIV and AIDS. Am, am I hearing that correctly? That's right. And therefore, I'm saying that the more we become aware of, you know, the needs of humanity, we have actually found that there would be members even in the church suffering and hurting, mm. who are suffering and hurting in isolation. But if we as the church move to where people are suffering, uh-huh. I do believe God will become more real in the lives and in the suffering of people. Now, Arnett, at the break, we were talking some about this whole idea of how the suffering of other people impacts us, even if we don't realize their suffering. You know, in other words, why should we even seek these people out? And Arnett, I thought you brought some interesting insights to bear that our listeners would probably like to hear. Okay. Well, one thing is, humanity is interdependent. Yes. And... Uh, and when there are those who are suffering, like we we do have an HIV and AIDS crisis around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and when we have you know more people who can't afford health care, needing health care, health care costs skyrocket, insurance sure. costs go up, and uh, and there's a a load on the medical system that uh, that makes. Uh, medical care less available for everybody, mm. and um, and also as you know, suffering and despair increase, people get desperate, and crime rates go up. Okay, and and when people are not well, there are contributions they can be making to society that are not being made, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we we uh, suffer you might say, a deficit of the talents they could bring to bear to make our communal life better. Okay, so basically I think you're making really an eloquent case for no matter who we are, no matter what our spiritual beliefs are, whether we're Christian, whether we're an atheist, an agnostic, whether we follow a traditional Native American religion or some other religious philosophy, we need to be concerned in what's happening around us, what's happening in our communities. Well, um, I do believe that if we really say we care about people, then we'd be interested in the lives of people. Mm. And I believe as the Adventist Church, we have a secret that others might not even know about. Uh, So whether we're ministering to someone who's suffering with HIV and AIDS, those same principles apply for someone who's living with cancer, for someone who's suffering with diabetes. And for me, this secret is the example of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus took a sincere interest in the well-being of people. Mm. And I'm sure you were referring to the very same book that I would like to share a quote with you from. Please, please. You know, um, and this would bring success to our ministries and it would help even ministers in other denominations that if we follow the same principles, we can touch more lives on a daily basis. And, and I do believe that Jesus' method is, is one of showing that we care. So it's a caring and healing ministry. And, and this, these principles also make sure that you know, barriers of prejudices are broken down mm. and that stigmatization is dealt with. And that is a common problem in our day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't even want to say that I've just been diagnosed with cancer. 
because they feel that they might be stigmatized okay. for whatever reason. And this quote I'd like to read this afternoon is as follows. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their need, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Mm. And that comes from a book called Ministry of Healing, page 143. So what I appreciate you're doing, Judy, and what you're doing, Arnett, is you're saying you realize that there's people in the world, when they hear the name of Christian, it does not bring warm connections in their mind. But you're saying, let's reframe that. Don't define Christianity in terms of people who've taken that name. Let's define Christianity in terms of the one who gave his name to that religion. And who gave us all life. Okay. And who knows what it's like to suffer, but also knows what it's like to bring relief to suffering. This is an amazing dialogue. We're getting insights into a very important topic, and that topic is ministering to people who are dealing with suffering, whether it's HIV and AIDS or other issues. We're going to come back with more from Judy Prince and Arnette Mathers. Don't go away. Practical things for you, regardless of what your spiritual background is, things that can make a difference in your life. We'll be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more.
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about a sensitive topic no matter where you are, whether you're in the heart of Indian country, whether you're in an urban environment, whether you're anywhere in the world the crisis of HIV and AIDS is touching everyone. We've been hearing that more poignantly from Arnett Mathers and from Judy Prince as they've been talking about how every one of us suffers when people in our community are suffering, even if we are not aware of their suffering. Judy, I think one of the questions that is in my mind, and I was speaking about this as we were closing out the last segment, and that is, as I work throughout Indian country, I'm struck by two very divergent opinions about Christianity. Some Native Americans that I interface with, when they hear the name of Christian or hear the name of Jesus Christ, they just have warm feelings. They themselves identify themselves as part of the Christian church, Mm -hmm. and regardless of what denomination that is or whether it's non-denominational. But there's another group of Native Americans when I mention Christianity or when I have a program that's featuring Christianity, if I were to talk with them about that program, they would tell me some of their initial sentiments were negative. They look at Christianity as something that was brought over by the white men to this continent. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, uh, it was a name taken by oppressors. It was name taken by people who waged war against their culture. They were put in boarding schools that were, quote, Christian boarding schools that took away their culture. And so there's these divergent feelings in right. Indian country. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're in North America right. or whether you're in South Africa. People have a perspective, an image of God, an image of the church, if you will. Right. Is this something that always comes out at some point in your dialogue with people who are sick and suffering? Oh, yes, absolutely. For me, it's actually very important as to how people view God or who God is. And even if they don't have a religion or believe in religion, I know that people ultimately believe in a higher power. So oftentimes in suffering, people would refer either to God favorably or or not. And so what I would do, I would just have, you know, a casual conversation to establish how they view God, because very often that is at the core of human suffering. Hmm. People live with guilt and shame, have anxiety, are disillusioned about life, have lost, you know, meaning uh, for life and for living. So I would just basically ask a simple question. So who would you say God is or who is God to you? And and to some people, God really is some tyrant out there Hmm. who just wants to punish and kill and destroy, you know. And so uh, those are usually your kind of people with with you know, lots of guilt and guilty feelings uh, and really need empowerment, need to know and hear that God is a forgiving God. Hmm. And then others would see God as either father or mother who, you know, is protective, Mm -hmm. is my helper. And so it's kind of easy to work with that person, easier in the sense that when I say, God, your heavenly father loves you, he or she will know that he or she has experienced the love of a parent in the home, mm-hmm. right? But then also, um, God wants to be personal in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, but asking a diagnostic question as to who God is to the person, it helps me. 
Now, um, Arnett here, who has been you know, my editor throughout my research, um, shared an interesting story uh, with me about his own experience of you know, his concept of God that I think people might want to hear. Well, you've definitely got her interest. Is she putting you on the spot? <laughs> A little bit, but uh, no. I I think we kind of uh, absorb our God image from uh, from our surroundings, filtered through our own perceptions. Right. And, and sometimes the image of God we have is different from the one, say, that our parents tried to teach us, mm-hmm. simply because we filtered that what they taught us through our own perceptions. Mm -hmm. And I had this concept of a God who was looking out for my faults to hold me accountable. And uh, if I couldn't get myself together, throw me out on the scrap heap. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I was afraid of God. And when I would mess up again, I would, uh, I would wait for three days for his temper tantrum to blow over before I would bring the subject up with him to, to talk, you know, to uh, confess and see if I could uh, make right because uh, I was used to having to wait for temper tantrums to have to blow over before, you know, for people to calm down before we could be reasonable. And then uh, there were some things that began to shift my paradigm. One was... For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was kind of like, oh, it's not Jesus there that it says loves me. Hmm. It's God that it says loves me. And and that makes the the universe a friendlier place. Hmm. But, But when we believe God is against us, that turns into self-hatred. We feel like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't live up to what I need to be living up to. I fall short of what's necessary to reach the bar, mm-hmm. and and so I deserve to be punished, hmm. and that turns into self hatred. But an understanding of a God who invests everything He has in me, and Jesus who invests everything He has in me. And they don't want to lose their investment. The value they place in me allows me to think their thoughts after them. Hmm. If he values me that much, I can value myself. That's right. If he can forgive me, I can forgive myself. If he can accept me, I can accept myself. If he can love me, I can love myself. And that begins to work a deep healing where I can come into harmony and peace with myself and face myself and bring it honestly to him. And when that paradigm shifted in my head, when I saw him as a parent with a sick child who wants nothing more than to heal that child, Mm -hmm. at that point... I didn't have to wait three days anymore for the temper tantrum to blow over. I knew I could come immediately for the help I needed and expect to be received with mercy and helped with grace. So, Judy, for people that don't have that view, when you're coming into their home and you're showing that type of acceptance, do you find that that's changing their view of God? Absolutely. uh Absolutely, because... You know, for me and in our ministry in home-based care, 
we introduce people to a paradigm or to a world that they are not familiar with. They've never experienced this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would say to them, hey, look, it's okay. You don't have to believe in God. And you don't have to have the same religion as I have. In fact, I don't care what your religion is right now. I'm your friend, and I want to journey with you, and I'm here to walk this mile with you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for as long as you need me. So basically, you're coming as a friend. That's you're right. You're coming as someone who's there to share this journey of suffering and help them through right. it. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a unique opportunity. You're a pastor. Both of you are. Uh, you're called by hospice uh, services. Right. They're looking for pastoral care. Right. And so, as you mentioned earlier, doors open to you where people share those personal stories. What about the average person listening to this show? They may not be a minister. They may not even be a Christian. How do they make a difference in the lives of people in their community who are suffering with these things? Or is that really beyond the scope of what you two have looked at? Well, that's exactly what my research thesis is about. And I'm encouraging all ministers of the gospel, priests, pastors, all people who are spiritual leaders or who run faith-based organizations, I'm saying we can, you know, put our energies together, combine our energies, take hands, and we can train people in our local communities and in our local churches to do home-based care. Hmm. Now, is there a is there a curriculum for this? Is uh, it something that you've got to learn from a mentor? If someone is listening, they say, well, I'd love to do this. I, I'm not interested in all this Christian stuff, but I'm interested in helping people on the res. I'm not, uh, I don't want to go to some religious uh, conference or something. Do you know of options like that that would help equip someone? Well, yes, there are options available if people want to train. And I do believe our churches can become, you know, in centers of influence. But it's as easy as saying on it, I think this 89-year-old gentleman needs to get into a bathtub and he needs to be bathed. And I know the gentleman would appreciate if I or you just took a razor and gave him a shave. Now, are you serious? You've actually had situations like that? Honest and I have done this together. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and the person was receptive to a, a shave and a bath? Yes. <laughs> really? He welcomed it. In fact, when I, when I told him that I you know, could do a haircut for him, I had the hair clippers, he showed me a picture of what he looked like couple, probably decades ago. Yes. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to try and do that. And it, the picture came close. Wow. Yes. I, I mean, I would think a lot of people, if they think someone kind of smells bad or hasn't had a bath in a while, that it would be encroaching on their personal space to even mention that they smell bad. Well, there's no way that we're going to do anything for anyone that doesn't welcome that. We need their permission. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly what we did. And we, by that time, he knew, because we are loving people who love people unconditionally, there was no way we were judging him because he didn't have a bath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the point. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that wasn't the first thing in the relationship. Yes. Okay. 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 This was somebody who had relationship with us prior to mm -hmm. this. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And that is why I introduced the principle. It's a five easy single step principles our savior jesus christ number one uh -huh. mingled with people as one who desired their good number two he showed his sympathy for their suffering okay. number three he ministered to their needs took care of practical needs 
Number four, he won their confidence and trust. And then number five, then he invited them, follow me. So many times the image that people have outside of Christianity is that the zealous Christians are very anxious to tell people, come join our church, follow us. What you're saying is, if that's the picture you're giving your community of Jesus, it's not the way that Jesus ministered when he's on this earth. That's right. So we need a paradigm shift. We need to shift from, you know, the norm of doing church hmm. and study and reflect on how did Jesus do this? Go ahead, Arnett. Yes. Mingling with people who one des- as one who desires their good is mingling with people without an agenda. That's right. Hmm. But simply because they need... The, the practical help that we can give. The you know, that we've, we are concerned about their welfare, right. not necessarily that they look like us. Mm-hmm. Well, this is powerful stuff. It's uh, really challenging us, no matter whether we relate to the Christian community as a believer or whether we look on uh, either with admiration or with uh, disgust, that uh, a lot of what has taken place under the name of churches, at least when it comes to healing, Maybe uh, misplaced energies. We've got to talk more about this. We've got a final segment, and we've got to look at some more of the practical applications of this. What difference does it make to the average person, this dialogue? Judy and Arnett will be back for our final segment. I encourage you to stay by some life-changing insights in our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. 
I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose sitting across from two pastors, Arnett Mathers and his fiancée, Judy Prince. Their lives have been brought together because of a mutual interest in caring for people in the midst of suffering. Judy, if you've been with us from the beginning of the show, has especially been working with HIV and AIDS in South Africa. She's now here partnering with Arnett in northern New England in the state of Maine. And they've been talking with us about some of these challenges that we have in our communities, challenges that the church can make a difference in, that individuals can make a difference in. Judy, as we're in our final segment of the show, I mean, a lot of people have been listening with interest. They're engaged by what you folks are talking about. And yet, if they're like me, they might be saying, well, okay, I need to to raise the bar. I need to be more involved in my community, but what do I do? I'm not a pastor. Nobody's going to call me on the phone and ask me to be involved with a hospice patient. Well, David, that might be true. And while it is true that many people might not even walk through the doors of our churches or a church, in human suffering, there are some things that are common to man Mm. or to humanity. And those are what we call immunity viruses or viruses that eat at the core, core of your soul. And they are simply anxiety, loss, and rejection. Hmm. guilt and shame, despair and doubt, helplessness and vulnerability, frustration and disillusionment. So there I've just mentioned to you existential threats in the human experience. And, and when you suffer from anxiety or helplessness and vulnerability, you feel sick, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel sick. And so how do we take care of those life needs? When it comes to anxiety, of course, the individual feels rejected. The need there would be intimacy again. To be at at peace with the one that has caused me anxiety mm-hmm. or whom I have caused harm. So where does the church come in? In Christian spiritual healing, the grace of God offers unconditional love to anyone who has done me harm. When it comes to guilt and shame, the life need there is freedom. Hmm. Guilt oppresses. Guilt makes me a prisoner. And I need to be delivered. So that's the life need there. Where does the church come in? Or Christian spiritual healing offers forgiveness, reconciliation. And where best can we find it than at the cross of Calvary? Hmm. When it comes to despair and doubt, there's the need for anticipation, meaning. And so life, you know, expectations must be renewed or rekindled in the life of the sufferer and hear the simple word called hope. You know, over the years we've been raised by believing that where there's life, there is hope. Okay. To me, as my professor said it, where there is hope, 
there is life. Fair enough. If I can give someone new hope, new meaning, that person will find healing in just that. Helplessness and vulnerability, a support system is needed there. And where then, where better can the church practice what we call koinonia fellowship? Hmm. Where somebody can feel like they belong to God, they belong to the body of Christ by just simply offering them our fellowship. Frustration and disillusionment and anger, their life need there is life fulfillment, new direction and new goals. And where do we come in as a church? To, to reinstill joy and, and bring the person into a space where they can really experience gratitude for what we have done, for the healing that they've experienced you know, from our ministry. Mm-hmm. So really, you've just walked us through a whole host of, we might call them spiritual maladies, spiritual right. illnesses. Right. And you're basically saying the church has resources to help these. But I think many of our listeners, even if they're not coming from a church-based framework, they're saying, well, you know, I can help address someone's needs of guilt if they feel guilty about how they've treated me by extending them forgiveness. Grace right? and forgiveness and offer them hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just be a friend. Just be a companion. Just journey with them. Is it really that simple, Arnett? I mean, are people really just looking for someone to be a friend and they're not uh, going to ask you a whole bunch of questions like, why are you here? Why are you interested in me? I mean, it seems like most people have barriers up. Yeah, there there is a lot of resistance, but I, b- I believe it's fear-based hmm. that uh, you can't really believe that somebody would have their welfare at heart. Mm-hmm that they're working some sort of an angle. And so many people that I've run across have a deep sense of shame, of of ultimate failure and Mm. and despair Mm -hmm. and and self-condemnation. And when they discover that there is a higher power out there who does not hold all that against them, when they discover that there's a higher power who sees the things that make them despair as, as a sign of hope that he can do something about it, mm-hmm. their their whole world begins to shift. When my despair becomes the gateway to hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Right. and I And I can... Breathe again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that oppressive feeling that that chokes the breath out of my chest, it is released, and and I can, I can actually dare to to breathe and expand, and uh, and there's freedom in that, in in knowing that my my current brokenness, my past transgressions, are not a roadblock to a good future. Mm. And it sounds like all of this dialogue brings us back to one of those early stories that you shared with us about the woman who was dying of AIDS. And you came into the home and you basically, I mean, break that back down for us. What all were you doing, you know, in in terms of, we've talked a lot about this theory. What were you doing when you were in that home with that woman who was dying? Well, like I said, David, I came and all I wanted was to be a friend to them, mm-hmm. to journey with them through stage four of AIDS. But 
I, I do believe the influence and the warmth and the love that they had received. I didn't come in there to judge them. I didn't want to know about what happened in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe it just meant so much to them that that by itself offered them so much hope and healing. And just to tell you another short story. Please. I, I worked in a clinic, um, HIV AIDS clinic, on a daily basis ministering and working with the patients and doing counseling. But because of the burden and the load that the uh, doctor who was in charge of the clinic had, she was going through a really bad relationship and she was Mm. about to break up with her boyfriend. And she was just so angry. So at the beginning of every day, she would share with me her frustrations in this relationship. And all I said to her, my dear, you looked so angry. Mm. Are you feeling angry? And she felt a need addressed. She felt that somebody recognized that she was hurting. Mm-hmm. She broke down crying. And I could just hold her and tell her, it's okay. You can cry. I didn't have to know the details of the story. I was just a friend. Mm-hmm. By the end of that day, she said to me, thank you for helping me. Mm. I didn't need to do anything further. Mm. I just needed to be with her there in that moment. Those are encouraging words because... Uh, Every one of us can be there, can't we? Maybe not in every circumstance, but you don't have to have a special degree. You don't have to be invited to come in as a pastor. Exactly. Wherever we live, there are people who are in need, and many just need someone to talk with, someone who doesn't judge them. Right. Arnett, our time is slipping away. You've been working here in the United States, in Maine. Maine is a pretty rural state. A lot of people would say, well, it might be easy to feel isolated from some of these uh, health issues. Is it the same anywhere? Is there people with need in every community that we need to be helping? Absolutely. And it may not be HIV AIDS, Mm -hmm. but I live in the poorest county of the state. Wow. And in that county, drug addiction is a really big problem. Mm -hmm. And people need a hope beyond their daily living circumstances. And the next fix. Mm. Yeah, beyond the next fix. They need a hope that heals them from the inside out, rather than one that masks the problem and makes it worse. Judy, our time has just about slipped away. Any closing thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd like to just say go out there and do little acts of kindness and warm the hearts of those who need it, and you will see the difference that you can make. I do believe that disinterested benevolence and acts of kindness will probably introduce scores of people into the heart and the love of God. Thank you so much, Judy. Judy Prince, Arnett Mathers, two pastors from different places in the world now working together in Maine. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Our time has escaped us. Hopefully today has challenged you to make a difference in your community, regardless of what your spiritual background. If you're a church member, there's been a call for greater involvement. If you're an individual, you are impacted by the suffering around you. Let's all make a difference. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.